Welcome back to Gems with Genesis Amaris Camp. Today with me is Tyson Ernst and a little bit about Tyson. He lost his sight, not his life. It just feels like that sometimes he experienced sudden vision loss at the age of 36 as a husband and father of two. For the next several years, he struggled with reimagining himself and returning to the workforce. 16 years later, he is still struggling as the workforce has changed and left him behind. While he walks into a room, the first thing people notice is his white cane and dog and guide dog. He now finds it his mission to change attitudes around the visually impaired and the realm of acquiring equal and fulfilling employment, which is so important. And today we're going to be discussing employment of the visually impaired. And the reason why this topic is so important is because there are so many organizations that talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion. But if you don't encompass that as a whole, then you are leaving out certain groups of people. And that's not really diverse. It's not equitable. And it sure is not inclusive. So without further ado, welcome Tyson Ernst to the stage. <laughs> Good morning, Genesis. How are you today? I am doing well, Tyson, and I want you to start off by telling the listeners as well as the viewers a little more about yourself because we all know that a bio is just a bio, but I want to know who is Tyson? Oh my gosh, that's a, that's a, very, it's a very detailed question, so I'll try not to go into the, into the three-hour version. Um, so basically, uh, I'm, I'm 52 years old. I live in um, Illinois in Springfield. And uh, I grew up originally in Southern California for the first 48 years of my life. And then I moved out here. Um, but however, so in my life, I, I've, um, I'm a musician. I've played drums and percussion since the age of eight. Uh, I taught it for 20 years at the high school level. Um, I am a U.S. Army veteran. And I worked in medicine for a decade uh, in a couple different capacities. I worked as an x-ray technician uh, for eight years at the urgent care level out in California. And then I taught uh, the last three years of my medical career, I taught at the career college level. Uh, and that's, that's where I entered um, my, my new normal, my new world of the visually impaired. Uh, in, in, a, in the span of a day in 2005, I'm not going to say a day, it's probably about a span of a week, uh, I went from fully employed to unemployed, uh, no paycheck outside of what the state offered me for disability insurance for a little while, and then uh, later on onto Social Security disability, and really trying to, trying to work my way, because as, as a career in medicine, um, teaching was a different issue, but as a career in medicine, which was really my main bread and butter. Um, I'll put it quite simply, you don't want the guy who can't see giving you a shot or drawing your blood. Um, so it kind of takes away what you did. You don't have the option to do that anymore. So I had to, uh, as I said in my bio, I had to reimagine myself. I had to figure out what I, what I needed to do. I'm, I'm a husband and a father of two, two um, school-age kids at that point, um, four and nine. 
So trying to figure out what I was going to do and how I was going to put food on the table because I was the sole income. So that's, that's led me uh, 16 years later in 2021 uh, to what becomes my, uh, my mission and, and my, my passion now is uh, in trying to find work over these 16 years, both in going to college, uh, working spotty and different kind of little um, per diem ad hoc kind of employment situations. Um, those turned out uh, to be temporary at, at best. And uh, I realized that uh, through, through a report that came out back uh, this June, I believe, through the World Blind Union, uh, having to do with the attitudes of employers towards hiring the visually impaired. And that sparked off what I'm doing now, which, which is the uh, having to deal with looking at, at the employment of the visually impaired from a different standpoint than we've been looking at for oh, 50, 60 years in the vocational rehab model. And I liked how you opened up and really shared your background up until where you are now, because I think that's important, Tyson, so people know who was Tyson before and who is Tyson now. And the reason why I say that is because in life, we all go through changes and we all evolve over time, similar to the society and the world that we live in. Everything is constantly changing. And whenever you think about your your uh, current situation, you know, losing, going from being able to see fully to total vision loss. And you think about how these employers talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and you feel like you don't have a place to fit in. Do you, how do you call out those employers and, and tell them, hey, you know, this is my condition and what you're doing is excluding me from being a part of this workforce. Even though I have the skills, you have the qualifications, the only thing that is different between you and I is I can I can see, but obviously I still have some visual impairment because I wear glasses. So, and then you have total vision loss. So how do you really have those conversations to make it make sense? And what are some of the myths that you have personally seen? So the, the probably the biggest myth um, and barrier I come across is the unspoken thing. Uh, you know, again, I mentioned in my bio, I said, when, when I walk into the room, um, obviously the first person the first thing that people notice um, is generally my guide dog. You know, I have this really cute yellow, yellow guide dog, um, but she's just my way of, of making my way without slamming into things. Okay. Uh, I, I love her to death. She is, she is an amazing, amazing uh, companion and a partner in, in my journey. Um, but she can't do my work for me. So I have to be able to do that work. Um, but they fixate on that. They fixate on, well, how did you get in here? How did you get here? Instead of, instead of what are the skills you bring to my company? What, what, how, do, how are you an asset to my, to my workplace? Um, as opposed to them seeing, seeing me as, well, we're going to have to take him. We're going to take him everywhere. We're going to have to show him from the door to where he's at daily. And we're going to have to take him from, um, uh, from, from uh, his work desk to the restroom, or if he goes to pour himself a, a pot of coffee, is he going to burn his hand? So there's a lot of the myths that, that there's an expectation that's put upon people who are visually impaired that we can't do. How do we get through it? And there's reasons for that society, societally and psychologically. 
um, the big the big perception is, and I say this in a, in a fashion of psychologically because the scariest thing in the world is the dark. We're taught from a very early age to be afraid of the dark, right? You know, you know, don't don't get out of bed after dark. Don't go outside after dark. Don't you know? Bad things happen in the dark. So when when someone closes their eyes, they're in the dark and they're like, how, how am I going to do this? I can't imagine myself doing this. So I can't imagine how you could do it. And that's the biggest barrier I have to overcome in anything is, is that, that whole, well, if I can't do it, how do you do it? So in something even as simple as this, I would say like, how am I even on zoom and, and conducting this interview? You know, I, I had to be able to do that in order to do this. So overcoming those those barriers and getting past that initial thing if i can get them to understand that i have skills and i possess knowledge of how to overcome those things you just have to give me the ability to show you how to do it and not worry about how i'm going to get to work or how i'm going to get to the restroom or how i'm going to pour my own coffee then we've probably eliminated about 80 percent of the perceptual issues that they have the mythology of it um and again, that, that's, that's what it comes down to is really just kind of dispelling those rumors um, and the fears that go along with it that, that bring a, about those um, uh, unconscious bias. And I feel like sometimes whenever you don't understand what somebody else is going through, you need to ask the questions and not asking them in an ignorant way, but asking so you can learn from their perception and see things from their vantage point. Because I feel like sometimes you don't know what you don't know, but whenever you assume some people, I, I'm not sure if you heard this term, you make it a double snakes out of you and I. <laughs> and because, <me. laughs> yes. Because it's like we're taking our perceptions and projecting them onto somebody else. When in reality, if we just peel that la that layer of the onion back and say, well, Tyson, can you tell me a little bit more about how you do what you do versus just having those preconceived notions and unconscious biases? Because then in that sense, they're already putting up a wall. Right. And that's exactly what that. That, so that report that I mentioned earlier on, um, the report came out, it was from the World Blind Union, it was conducted um, across uh, several nations. And what they found is, is that 70% uh, of employers who were surveyed would never hire someone with visually impairment. And the reason for that is, um, is that their management and supervisors would feel uncomfortable working with someone with visual impairment. And that's, that's unthinkable. That's unacceptable. Um, someone's comfort level at working with someone with a particular disability is not an excuse for excluding them deliberately. So remember I mentioned the rehabilitation model that we're putting, and, and you see this so many with the way that disabilities are dealt with on, a, um, on an achievement level. Uh, you, see the, you see with things like the... Uh, the way that, for example, uh, para-athletes are done, right? That, that if you have a disability, you can do anything so long as you put your heart into it and you do the work. Well, along the same, along the same token of, of getting into the workforce, you know, if we're, we're told, if you get the right degree, if you have the right experience, you're going to get in, you're going to get the job that you put in for. You just have to put in the work, right? But if I'm putting in the work 
and I automatically have two thirds of my opportunities cut off from me. How, how, how hard is that going to be? How much difficult is that going to be? And then psychologically, what does that do to you when you aren't, when, when you're passed up time and time and time again, because they see the person who's not going to be, uh, who may take a little bit of time uh, to get adjusted to it. Uh, for example, learning uh, proprietary software and how we can make our, our adaptive equipment work with that, um, which, is, which is where um, Viper came into. And uh, I'd like to go ahead and shift to that. So what Viper is, is Viper is a, is a company that I just founded quite literally two weeks ago. Um, and Viper stands for Visually Impairment Professional and Employment Resources. And it's, it's really not telling the blind or the visually impaired, you know, you just need to get to, to know your equipment because you do that. That's obviously a part of it, but mainly is coming and taking uh, this company and working with employers and HR people to say that this is how we're an asset, our diversity and the, and the views that we come with can show you so much about what your company is. Um, 15% of the world has a disability to some degree or another. And if you're not looking to them as a customer base, you're automatically writing off 15% of your customers. It, I, I think any, any corporation would be like jumping on that to be like, man, I can increase my sales by 15%. Um, and it simply comes from us sitting back and saying, how, how can I show you that, that by bringing what our point of view is, um, that we see things a little differently, that we can make things more accessible quite easily, um, that you can, you can benefit your company and having that different point of view. Uh, we talk about diversity now. Um, the, the, strong, the strong push right now in the last uh, year plus has been diversity uh, regarding um, uh, racial diversity and gender diversity within the workplace. And that conversation has kind of left out uh, the disability inclusion. Uh, the Americans with Disability Act uh, realistically has a lot of difficulties in it uh, and advantages for employers. For example, you know, the employers are only are, are really limited in what they can ask and they feel comfortable asking, which we need to dispel that. You need to, as you said, what you don't know, you don't know. So if you're going to get past those, we need to have the ability to not feel uncomfortable asking those questions, to have that uncomfortable conversation, uh, because at the end of it, we're all going to benefit. Um, secondly is if, if someone discriminates against you because of a disability, the way the law is currently written, they don't have to disclose that. They just say, we just passed you up. We don't have to, the, the employer doesn't have to say why they passed you up. And, and I think that's the second thing that probably needs to be, um, or, or one of the main factors, in my opinion, which needs to be addressed. But that's a law, that's a congressional uh, federal level kind of thing is reopening the ADA and looking at how we can we can really adjust that. It was written in you know it was written in the early '90s and passed, and in those 30 years since then, we we just celebrated the 30th anniversary of it. The world has changed. Um, I said I that agree. the world, yeah, the world is. I said that the world has passed me by the employment opportunity because 
I will tell you that that the way that the hiring process, you know, I used to be, I'm I'm from a person that you from a from a uh, a time, it sounds so long ago, that you filled in an application, you turned it into the employer, and you sat down in front of somebody with an interview. Now the HR departments work off of keyword searches to filter out what people have and what they don't have. So if you don't match that criteria, you're automatically excluded by an AI. And that is one thing that um, Tyson, that I want employers to change is the ATS, the automatic tracking system, because not everyone's resume are going to have those keywords and you are missing out on qualified and exceptional candidates because their resumes don't have certain keywords in that the AI. And for those of you, AI is artificial intelligence, or now that we have RPAs, robotic processing automation is not picking up. And so yes, although technology is great and it has advanced, technology also misses out certain areas and it does not have the human instinct part. So it's like humans hire humans, we don't hire robots. So, oh, go ahead, Tyson. No, I was just gonna say an an RP, an RPA or, or an AI system cannot identify soft skills can't take an experience that you have and see how it's applicable to it. So for example, they see that I was, I was in medicine, right? And I say I'm in medicine and I was a night shift supervisor. Well, it may see the word supervisor, but it doesn't understand man, that, that I managed a team of, of between, you know, four and six nurses. It doesn't see when I say that I'm a teacher, that I managed a, a, um, a program and all aspects of that program of up to 30 high school students and having to deal with, with issues amongst those and, and problem solving and all those things that are, that are applicable to any corporation they would, that they really strive to have. Someone who's a problem solver. Let me put it this way. Have you ever dealt with 30 high school kids for, for, for a six month period? You know how to problem solve. All types of different personalities. Right just everything. But then another thing too, that I want to look at Tyson while I have you is not only, um, did you serve in the military? So you're a veteran, but then you're also visually impaired. And then the thing that I keep hearing and correct me if I'm wrong, cause I've never been in the military and I'm not visually impaired. So I just really want to make sure I'm understanding where you're coming from is that, the VA, they talk about all these incredible things that they're doing for veterans, but then every time I come into contact with a veteran, they talk about how it's hard to find a job, even though they have served and protect for their country, to find suitable living arrangements. Sometimes they have challenges with living arrangements. The pay, like what they what they're being paid now as a civilian or whatever benefits you all get. Sometimes that's not even enough to cover, you know, their household expenses and all the other things they need to do. But some of them have went through PTSD. They've went through um, life-changing things where they've lost limbs or they had some form of disability brought onto them because you you can't always see what somebody with a disability is dealing with because I like to say there's invisible disabilities and there are physical disabilities and it's not your place to all to ask somebody whoa what type of disability do you have because that's personal and some people don't feel compelled to share that information so from your standpoint of being visually impaired 
graduate and a veteran, do you feel that it's an extra layer of things that you have to personally go through? Uh, not necessarily. And, and I'll explain why. Um, first of all, uh, you know, um, I've talked about it in other forums, the fact that, you know, one of the boxes in an application you check, whether it's online or not a physical form, is do you have something that uh, prevents you from doing the job as is, right? And so, and you have to list out what that is. So if I tell them, first of all, first of all, if I tell them I'm visually impaired, um, that automatically can, can, I'm not going to say automatically, so I want to retract that, but it tends to have a, a thing where they go, oh, so we're going to have to put this one off to the side. And, and therefore I'm excluded at that point. But if I don't include that and I walk into an interview, I get into an interview or, or, you know, goodness sakes, I get the job and I walk in there. And the first thing I do is, is walk in with my guide dog and says, where can I put her? You know, she's got to be with me. I, I need room under the desk or something like that. They look and go, but you didn't disclose that. You lied on your, on your application and therefore you committed fraud. So one way or the other, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of behind the eight ball. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's an interesting catch 22. So do we disclose it? Do we not? The same thing with the veteran size. I've never, I've never in, in all my employment um, from, from 1990 to, to current day, I, I, to, to the best of my knowledge, it's never been disclosed to me that my veteran status has ever mattered, has ever made a difference in whether I get a job or I don't. Um, now, on to what I see with the VA. Uh, and, and that as far as helping get jobs, they do help that. Um, I will tell you right now that, that if you lose your sight when you are a veteran, um, you get treated very, very well. Uh, all my equipment, such as the computer I'm on right now, and, and a lot of the adaptive equipment that I have is provided by the VA, including all training. Uh, I'll be going to the training uh, facility at the VA in Long Beach, California, to get some new equipment here in the next several weeks. Um, and they, they, they put you up on it. They pay for the flight, the whole nine yards, everything is taken care of. You don't, not a dime is, is, is put out on, on my behalf, um, on, on my side rather, but everything is on, everything is from them. So um, as far as like medical care and stuff like that, what a, what a lot of it comes down to with the disabilities is what you have to prove is service connection. Uh, and that can be difficult in terms of things like PTSD and some of the invisible ones, anxiety and, and, and those. Um, you have to be able to prove that your disability was either a result of or exacerbated by your time in service. Um, I will give you the example for years and, and decades almost, uh, veterans of Vietnam went through crazy conditions and it turns out that they were because that they were a part of Agent Orange. Well, because the, the VA didn't recognize Agent Orange as a, as a causative agent for a long, long time, they were denied those benefits and health benefits. Uh, there's, you know, uh, disability pensions that go along with it. I'm currently fighting right now because I have MS and I, my MS symptoms began in there, but trying to show the VA that that happened uh, and to get a doctor to say that it's more likely than not that it did uh, is proving difficult. And I'm having to go through appeals processes in order to demonstrate that as opposed to them just looking at the evidence. Um, they can sometimes make it very difficult. Um, 
to do that. Uh, the same thing happens on the civilian side with people who apply for social security disability. They may get denied the first, second, even third time to the point where they're just discouraged and don't go through with it. So they really miss a lot of benefits with that. Um, there are services available, however, um, depending on your income. Uh, for example, I, I didn't need to have service connection to be able to get um, disability or medical coverage through the VA. And I'm very much happy with my VA um, benefits. A lot of people complain about it. Um, uh, I've, I've found personally that my experiences with the VA are actually pretty positive. So again, it just, it's, it's based upon circumstances. And thank you for sharing that because it's, it's good to hear things from um, different vantage points because everyone has a different situation and your situation and circumstances are unique. So I'm glad that you personally had a positive experience with the VA. And thank you for sharing your perspective on um, certain things that you are dealing with, Tyson, because it's very commendable. And I do appreciate you opening up and sharing that with the listeners and audience, because now we're getting a look into who Tyson Ernst is and your world. And sometimes people may not ordinarily get to hear something from different people who are going through certain things because they don't know how to start those conversations and bridge the gap. And that's exactly what I what I want to do, Tyson. I want to educate, I want to inspire, and I want to motivate by giving people the ability to share their stories and have these courageous conversations and healthy discussions so we can learn from one another because that's what it's about. When we are linking arms metaphorically, we are being the change that we want to see. But if we don't open our mouth and have these discussions, where would we be? Do you agree or disagree? I agree 100% with that. And as we begin to wind down, because I want to be respectful of your time, Tyson, what is your call to action for the listeners and viewers based on what you shared during this segment? Okay, so my call to action would be um, to go ahead and uh, uh, I do have um, uh, my main presence right now out there is on Clubhouse. Um, I, I speak in a lot of different rooms about this exact same subject. As a matter of fact, I'll be speaking this evening on it. Uh, if you follow me on Clubhouse, uh, it's my name, Tyson, T-Y-S-O-N, Ernst, E-R-N-S-T. Uh, as far as I know, I'm one of the only ones, <laughs> if, if not among a very, very few. Um, go ahead and follow me on that. And so that way you can come into those rooms and, and speak with me. Uh, there's a lot of things. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, Tyson Ernst 717, uh, Instagram, the same one, uh, Tyson Ernst 717. And, uh, I'm also on LinkedIn. I don't remember the exact, uh, and you can look me up by my name. Uh, and then, uh, my website, um, which is the, which is the, which is the logo, will be uh, is myviper.org. It's currently in the present stage and it's not online active, uh, but I'm expecting it to be within the next week to 10 days. Uh, we're going to be launching a podcast series, uh, which again, interviews people uh, like yourself, Genesis, and other people in the uh, corporate HR world, as well as people who are working in the advocacy field for employment and also people who have experienced barriers in seeking employment. So again, that's going to be, that's going to be Vipercast and that'll be launching here in probably the next 30 days. 
Congratulations, Tyson, on Viper, ViperCast, and all the incredible things that you are doing in and throughout your communities on the forefront as well as behind the scenes. And I really want to thank you for being on GEMS with Genesis Amaris Camp and just sharing more of your story and who you are. Listeners and viewers, please head on over and check out all the incredible things that Tyson is doing. All of his contact information will be in the show notes. Remember to like, comment, and subscribe to the podcast on all audio platforms and the video component on the YouTube channel, Gems with Genesis Amaris Kemp. Until we chat next time, peace, love, and lots of blessings. Have yourself a wonderful day. And remember, you can be the change that you want to see, but it starts with you taking action to secure a better future for tomorrow.